0: Listen, as I was thinking about this, uh, this sermon tonight, I was thinking about how names have power. Say it with me. Here we go. Names have power. And I'm sure that you found that to be true in your life. I found it to be true in my life. There's been mentors in my life whose name has helped me get places before, right? When I was coaching, there was a, a name called William Edwards. And when he signed his name on mine, I got to go and coach at a high level at a high school because I was with him. I've had names help me in life. I've also had names hurt me in life. I've had been associated with people I shouldn't have been associated with, and even if I wasn't doing the stuff they were doing, just being associated with them got me in trouble. I'm sure that you've been there before too. Names have power. A few years back, I told this story of when I was in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. I did three three tours to Tegucigalpa, Honduras, where we went on mission, and I loved partnering with Impacto Church while we were down there. And while we were on the way back from Honduras, I had a game in my backpack. And we were going through customs, and they were checking our bags and everything. And I didn't think about this game being an issue in my bag. I thought I'd be perfectly fine. We had played it all week long. Didn't have any problems when we was going down to Honduras. But when she opens up my backpack, the lady behind the counter who's checking all the stuff, she opens my backpack, and she goes, (gasps) And I'm like, oh, snap. What did I leave in my bag? My first thought was dirty clothes. I was like, something's embarrassing. is inside of my bag. And I have no idea what it is. She pulls out this game. It's a box. You may have played it before. The name of the game is Exploding Kittens, (laughs) right? (laughs) On the picture is a a nuclear bomb going off, right? Perfect game to take through the airport. And so the lady behind the counter doesn't speak English. So she looks at me and she holds up the box and all she says is, bomb? (laughs) I'm like, no, card game. (laughs) I'm like, card game. She's like, bomb, bomb, bomb. People start coming over. I am frozen in place. (laughs) I cannot move. And I'm standing there, and this game that's called Exploding Kittens has got me frozen and stuck in place. And I see the head of security make his way over. You can always spot the head of security at the airports. So they got the power. Everybody else looks to him. Head of security comes over The HOS, makes his way over, checks it out, goes through the cards, makes sure there's no explosive devices inside the box. I was fine, although when it did open, it sang a song, so that was cute. <laughs> she opened it. It was like, doo, do 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 And I'm like, this is embarrassing. And he comes over The head of security. like, hey, it's a card game, isn't it? I was like, yeah, it's not a bomb. He's like, don't bring a game that says Exploding Kittens. You might not lead a country. And I was like, yes, sir. (laughs) That was my last tour to Honduras. And I've never forgotten that because that name of that game had me frozen in place. But when the head of security made his way over, his name, his title, got me free and took me home. Listen, I want to tell you, there are names that will freeze you in place. There are names that will get you in trouble in life. But there is one name, the head of security, there is one name who is above all and rules over all, who can get you out of any mess that you find yourself in, and that's the name of Jesus. Amen? There's one name that reigns above all. There's one name that when he comes to your rescue, when he comes to your side, those chains that you find yourself in break. I'm talking those strongholds, those sin, the, that doubt, that discouragement, that fear, that, that evil stronghold that the enemy wants to have on us. When you walk in the power and authority that Jesus has, as the song Tremble says, the demons run and flee at the name of Jesus. Names have power. Say it with me one more time. Names have power. Don't be associated with the wrong name. Be associated with the most beautiful wonderful name and that's the name of Jesus. And that's what I want to talk to us uh, about tonight is what does it really mean when we sing, oh praise the name? What does it really mean when we sing what a beautiful name? Do you believe the name of Jesus is beautiful? I would oppose it to you that when we find ourselves stuck in sin, when we find ourselves living in something we're not supposed to, the name of Jesus is not always as beautiful because we know that with Jesus comes the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? Like Jesus' name is beautiful when we're worshiping him but when we find ourselves in disobedience, we're not so quick to jump and say, yes, it's beautiful, I want it, it's all I want. And I believe there's people in here who need some freedom in their life, and what I want to point us to is some beautiful names that Isaiah gives us in Scripture about Jesus. Now, if you will, look with me, and let's begin to pick this apart. In Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to find one verse, but I have a lot of cross-references that I want to give you tonight as well. And I also want to give you a book recommendation And that is a book by Tony Evans. It's titled The Power of Jesus' Names. Each week, I'm going to try to give you something that you can take home. This is in the bookstore. It's The Power of Jesus' Names. And Tony Evans' book is really good. He covers a lot of names from Emmanuel to Alpha and Omega, King, Lamb of God, Great High Priest, Sovereign. And, of course, a lot of the ones that we know, the Great I Am, Lord, Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, and the Word. So this is a fantastic resource. In fact, I'm going to share with you something from this book tonight in just a little bit. But let's look at Isaiah chapter 9 and let's walk home with a few things that are going to make us worship the Lord more deeply tonight. This is Isaiah chapter 9. says this in verse 6. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Here's four names Isaiah gives. He says he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Let's read them again. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's start with number one tonight. Number one, I want you to write down the beauty of Christ's counsel. The beauty of Christ's counsel. What does it mean when we sing? What a beautiful, beautiful name. Well, I'll tell you this: we're talking about the counsel that comes from Christ—the advice, the guidance, the direction, the commands. Scripture gives it to us as the wonderful Counselor. Now, let me ask you: How many of you have had? And I'm serious about this. Let me fall on my soul tonight. Oh my goodness! Whew. Heart dropped, but I'm good. It's a little slippery tonight. How many of you ever got bad advice before? Mm-hmm. My goodness. Bad advice. Anybody ever steered you down a bad path? I've had people give me bad advice before. It sticks with you. There are people in this world who give you bad, bad counsel. <laughs> All right, just because something sounds good to your ear does not mean it is biblical. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Just because you see something on social media does not mean it is biblical. A counselor is an advisor. What they do when they come alongside you is they walk with you hand in hand through whatever it is that you're going through. I wrote this down in my notes as I was studying on The Wonderful Counselor. There's a difference between giving advice about a storm you're in versus walking with you through your storm. Have you ever had somebody walk with you through your storm to go hand in hand with you through whatever you're walking through? That is a counsel that we have been offered from Jesus. So when you sing out what a beautiful name, does it ever come to your mind that you have offered to you, quite literally, supernatural counsel and guidance and direction? Because as we're on this path of being between the ages of 18 and 25 years old, and we are college and young adults trying to figure out what we're going to do with things like career and finances and relationships and marriage and all these things that lie before us, these big, big things that seem to weigh us down, Who you're hearing from is going to make a big impact on the decisions you make. Who has your ear the most? And what I know about this room right here, what I love about the view is that you've been live on this planet long enough to know that your self-counsel is not always the best counsel. Man, I'm telling you, we love to advise ourselves, don't we? I do. Especially when it's late at night and I'm I'm hungry. And I talk to myself, Hannah watches it, I talk out loud. I'm like, man, I should go in there and get another sugar cookie. (laughs) They bag. I'm like, man, there's bags of chips in there. It's like 11 o'clock at night. My wife is like, why are you eating? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just talking to myself. I'm hungry. That's bad counsel. I'll tell you this. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. He says, Now the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. That your flesh is destructive. And then in Matthew 26, verse 41, you remember this, Jesus says, Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. College students, I want to pose to you tonight that as you make decisions, you don't need more of your voice on the issue. You need God's voice because your voice is not going to take you down the path that you need to go to. Your voice is biased. As much as you love yourself As much as you may trust yourself, I have to tell you that your self-counsel when it comes to career, finances, relationships, is biased. What is it biased to? Scripture says your inner voice is biased to your flesh. That you will say to yourself what you want to hear the most. You know how it is. You'll tell yourself what's easy to hear. You'll talk yourself into sin. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if we're going to get real in here tonight, be real honest. You know how to talk yourself into sin. I know how to talk myself into sin. We know what our ears so desperately want to hear. And we follow bad counsel far more often than we think we do. Isaiah is painting this picture of Jesus, that he's a wonderful counselor. And here's why. There is no subject that Jesus is not superior on. There is no situation or subject that Jesus is not sufficient in. No matter what you need, no matter what, what help you may need or counsel or advice or guidance, Jesus is sufficient in all of it. He lacks nothing. If you come to me for advice, at some point I am going to fail you. I cannot help you with your nursing exam. I can pull up Quizlet. And that's as far as I can go. Engineers, I can't help you much. If you want to know how to coach a basketball team, I can help a little bit. I cannot help you with your engineering. There are things outside of my ability to truly help you on. And guess what? There are things outside of your loved ones, your mom, your dad, your friends, the person you're dating, that cannot sufficiently help you with the subject or the situation that you find yourself in. But let me tell you, Jesus is sufficient. The enemy wants you to think not. The enemy wants you to think that Jesus is not sufficient to the subject or the situation that you find yourself in. Because if he can convince you that Jesus does not have the answer, you will find an answer in an idol. You will find an answer in the culture or you will find an answer in a person and you will go elsewhere outside of Jesus. But I got news for you. He is sufficient. Scripture says this on this very issue when it comes to navigating the big issues of our life. Psalm 32, verse 8. You can write this reference down. I will instruct you and show you the way to go with my eye upon you. I will give counsel. This is a verse for me in 2015 When I really wasn't sure if a creator was real. For me, I was in college and I was wrestling with the whole idea of there actually being a creator. I was starting to believe that some things were chance. If you had asked me what I believed at that time, I would have said that I was very spiritual, but not religious. That was my answer to people in college. What do you believe in? I said, I'm spiritual. I believe in spirits, but I don't believe in religion. I don't believe in that. I was agnostic in a way, believing there could be something, but I wasn't sure what it was. And I remember one night at the park where I got saved as I was flipping through Scripture, the only way I knew how to read the Bible was flipping point. (laughs) I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what the Old or New Testament was. And so I had flipping point. And this verse stuck out to me one night because I read it at a time when I was very, very lonely And I realized what the Bible was saying for the first time, that there is a God who will literally instruct you and show you the way to go, and how he does it is with his eye on you. And then he says, say with me, I will give what? Counsel. Counsel. Not only that, I'll give you this one. In Psalm 73, verse 24, it says this, You guide me with your, say it with me, counsel. And afterward, you will take me up in glory Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 25. He says, Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. That's 1 Corinthians 1, verse 25. If you're writing that reference down, I'll give you two more on this subject. James talks about this with a group of guys. I remembered a couple, I memorized a couple of chapters of James together. And in James 3, verse 17, it says this But the wisdom from above is first pure. Then peace, loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. The wisdom from above is first pure. And then 1 John 5, an incredible verse to memorize. Verse 20 says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one. That is in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is 100% qualified to speak on the situations that you are facing and the subjects that are before you. My question is, are you listening to him? Does he have your ear? If not, who does? Are they sufficient on that subject? Are they sufficient on that matter? Do they have all wisdom the way that Jesus does? And if Jesus knows all things and can offer all things to us, college students, why are we so quick to run everywhere else except for Jesus? I'm guilty of it. I'm in the same boat with you. It looks like there's answers in our culture. There's none. Jesus is sufficient. Isaiah 40, verse 13 to 14 says this. It's very direct. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? I will first pose it to you this way. That from an intellectual standpoint, from the the actual comprehension of what the Bible teaches, Jesus is sufficient. That he is all-knowing, he lacks nothing, and wherever you find yourself in, he is offering it to you. Now, I want to pose it to you this way. What I want to do is I want to pose it to you from an emotional standpoint, from a mental standpoint, to your heart. There's oftentimes we don't believe because it's a lack of knowledge or a lack of being convinced in our head. But a lot of times the reason we don't don't go to Jesus with the the hardship and the trial that we have is because we don't truly believe that our heart can be related to by Jesus. And I cannot tell you over the last seven years that I've been doing this, the amount of college students who I've talked to, that when we really counseled, when we really got down to the root issue, it was not a root issue of head knowledge. It was not a root issue of seeing God do things externally. At the core root of why they would not listen to the counsel of the Lord, the main reasoning was their heart did not believe God's heart related to them. I'm just telling you, as seven years, all I've done is work with your age group. What I have come back to time and time again is that you struggle to believe that God truly knows your heart and cares about your hurt and your pain and what you're going through and that inner struggle that you have and those doubts and that fear and that darkness and all that stuff that each one of us have inside of us that Jesus relates to. Scripture says it this way in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 to 18. It says, therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Oh, college students, Jesus knows your heart. Oh, he knows the pain. Oh, he knows the loneliness. Oh, he knows, he knows We talk about the cross all the time. We're coming up on Easter. We see the massive crosses at the interstate when you made your way on in. If you're not from around this area, you saw the crosses. We talk about the cross all the time. We talk about the crucifixion. But have you ever thought about how traumatic it would be to witness a crucifixion? No, I'm serious. And some of you guys have been in church longer than I have. Don't think about the crucifixion itself. Think about witnessing it. Do you know how traumatic it would be just to see it? Anybody and't have to be even Jesus, just to see with your eyes a crucifixion take, take place, to witness firsthand somebody be beaten and tortured and then nailed to a, a tree to die slowly. Can you imagine the trauma that would come with watching that? Now imagine the trauma that would come from going through that, when you didn't deserve it, when you didn't have any sin, when you were sinless, like the trauma? I remember in 2016, I was in a car wreck on the interstate. I was perfectly fine. The car was totaled. I was shook up. Shook up. 20 years old. Shook up. And I was not even hurt. <laughs> like, I couldn't imagine the trauma that would come with just seeing it. I certainly couldn't imagine going through a crucifixion. I want to tell you, Jesus went through a crucifixion and then rose from the dead. But as he endured that darkness, as he endured that torment. As he endured that pain and that hurt on the cross for your sins and for my sins, he experienced what you and I experience, the emotions of pain and hurt and loneliness. And that's why being fully God and fully man, he can relate to your situation. He can relate to your subject. Although he never gave in to temptation, he was tempted but remained sinless. He knows. He feels what you are carrying. And as you walk through it, he feels for you. And God loves you so much to not leave you in your sin, but to call you out of it and to call you to obedience. So, to college students, I will pose it to you this way. You will begin to listen to the counsel of the Lord when you truly understand that He knows your heart. But not just that, we have a God who has the best interests and His heart for your heart. And it's not always the exact career, the exact car, the exact life you want, His heart for you is holiness. His heart for you is to be made like Jesus. I'm a firm believer that when we sing the name Jesus, that when we say what a wonderful counselor, what a beautiful, beautiful name, we'll start listening when we understand his heart knows our heart. Number two, though, the beauty of Christ's power. Power. So the first thing, number one, the beauty of Christ's counsel, that we have advice, we have guidance, we have commands, we have his spirit living in us, we have counsel offered to us. But number two, it talks about how Jesus will be mighty God. Number two is the beauty of Christ's power. He is present and he is close. And there is a power and authority offered to you as you navigate through relationships, finances, career. I love this verse in Ephesians. I want to read this to you. It's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. It says this. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. I've been going to University of Memphis campus every week since at least 2014. I did a couple years there as a student and then jumped right into being an intern and a director and a pastor. And I've been going to that campus for many years now. As soon as it'll be a decade that I've been winning, trying to win souls at this campus, being rejected a lot. Listen, I'll be the first to tell you that I get rejected. Even though DECO got me this jacket, it still doesn't always help me on campus. People will shut me down. I cannot tell you the amount of ways I've been rejected. The amount of ways people have told me no, that they're not interested in the gospel is amazing. And I don't push, I don't pry, I don't make them uncomfortable, but I still tell them, hey, I would love to talk to you about Jesus. And uh, this semester we've had a really good group of people, a really good group of people who have come every single week to share Jesus with us at the University of Memphis campus. And we we set up our tent, we offer some free stuff, and we look to have conversation with anybody we can. But the real goal of being there at University of Memphis is that it's a secular university. It's very dark. It needs... Believers, it needs the light of Jesus on this campus. And every week, the goal is to build a relationship with one person every week, right? We're not a billboard for The View. We're not a billboard for Bellevue. We're not a billboard for Daniel. We're not a billboard. And the people who come every week will tell you, we're not a billboard. Like, we are there to get to know somebody every single week. And we've been getting to know this guy who has been coming every single Monday. He's 6'5". You can't miss him. And he's been coming every single Monday, and he stops, and he has a conversation with us. And each Monday, we've been able to talk to him a little bit more, a little bit more, heard some of his story. We prayed over him, prayed over his requests, and just hearing a little bit more and a little bit more. And today at University of Memphis, we're about to pack up our tent. We're about to head back and and do this setup because we got work ahead of us to have Monday night worship. And We're about to pack up and head here. And I see him coming our way. Ryan sees him walking towards us. And so we stop for a minute, and he comes over and he talks to Ryan. And I see Ryan, Ryan calls me over, and I walk over. And we start having a conversation with him, and he begins to tell us very clearly that he needs a relationship with Jesus. And we're at this point now, five weeks in with this guy. Five weeks. Can I tell you, there's no glory to anybody else except the Lord. Can't tell you the amount of times we get rejected and get awkward stares, I can't tell you. But it's worth it if we get one who will believe in Jesus. Not join the view. It's so much bigger than that. At some point, you won't be here and I won't be here too. It's so much bigger than Bellevue. At one point, you might not be here and I might not be here too. It's so much bigger than your home church. It's so much bigger than your campus. It's about the kingdom of heaven. And if it's one soul for the kingdom of heaven, it's worth it. And he looks at us and he says, I need a relationship with Jesus. And we start talking to him. I said, what do you know about Jesus? This is what he says. This is right here in the city of Memphis. He says, I know that Jesus died for our sins. I said, what else? He said, that's about it I said, have you ever heard that he rose from the dead too? He said, no. Imagine trying to give your life to the Lord with half a gospel. Mm -hmm. I remember at 21 years old, as I continue to go back to my testimony, wanting to pray but not knowing how because nobody had ever taught me how to pray. You know, the helpless feeling of wanting to cry out to a God, but not knowing how. This guy had half a gospel, wanted to give his life to the Lord. There's some of us in here who have had the gospel over and over and over for years upon years upon years and still don't want it. This guy has half the truth. And he's like, I want it. I want it. And he gave his life to the Lord. By the tiger at University of Memphis campus. <laughs> All God. Can't be me. I get rejected too much. Can't be Ryan can't be you but I'll tell you this God will work through you why because his power is so much greater than what you can imagine I told Ryan this his entire spring semester at University of Memphis might be for that guy we get caught up in career we get caught up in degree we get caught up in community and those things are so so important we get caught up with our summer and our fall and and all our plans we get we get caught up with that and that's great God's kingdom is a lot bigger than just your degree. It's a lot bigger than just where you live. It's a lot bigger than just your friend group. It's that God might be using you every day for one hour a week, and you don't know it, but he's working in somebody's heart just because they get to see you. You go to the gym every week, he's working there. You go to a coffee shop every week, he's working there. But we get caught up and we miss it. We miss that his power is immeasurable, that he's working in details we're not even working in. He's working in people's lives we're not even thinking about. And if we'll just be obedient, we'll see God do a huge, huge work. So let me ask you this sincerely, genuinely, humbly, as somebody who asked myself this. When we were singing, oh, praise the name, right? Here's the the lifted thing right here. As we were singing, oh, praise the name. And then we switched beautifully to what a powerful name it is. Do you, because if those words came out of your mouth, my question to you is, do you believe that to be true? God bless you. Do you believe that to be true? Do you believe in your heart to hearts that Jesus' name is powerful, powerful beyond measure? If you do, follow-up question. Does what you say line up with what you do? Does what you do and what I do show that we believe his power is immeasurable? Or do we limit our dreams? Do we limit our prayers? Do we limit our reach? Immeasurable. Immeasurable. Not only that, but number three, the beauty of Christ's security. God bless you. It's getting springtime. Allergies are picking up. Make sure you keep your nose spray and your chapstick. It's chapstick season. Don't go around your boo with, with chap lips. You might not have a boo no more. That shows you I'm a millennial. Boo, that's outdated now. It's not outdated for my Boo. She's somewhere. Hey, baby. The beauty of Christ's security. So we have number one, the beauty of Christ, the beauty of his glory, the beauty of his hope, the beauty of Christ's security. I've talked to people before who don't understand that once God has you, he doesn't let go that when you're in God's right hand, you are held firmly. One of the verses that I love the most is Isaiah 41, verse 10. It's a verse that I've made my life verse. Do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Students in a world and a culture that's ever-changing, how nice is it that we have a God who doesn't change? Man, like, We have friendships that cannot stay consistent. We have a culture that cannot find one thing to stick on. Yet we have a God that does not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That security, the hard part about it is we're looking for security in everything except Jesus. We're looking for security in people, in a job, in finances. But that money comes and goes. That job comes and goes. Trey was sharing his testimony. He talked about a job. Was there one minute gone the next? People come and go. I don't know if you've been alive on this planet long enough. I sure hope you have to understand that people come and go. The amount of people I still know from high school is a very small number that I still keep up with. And the people that I keep up with from college is small as well. That people come into your life and people go in your life. I've seen a lot of friendships and friend groups break down because of a lack of trust and security within that friendship. And I want to tell you, any friendship that is not built on Jesus Christ will not have the security that Jesus Christ offers. That you have the security to know that when you come to God with that stronghold and with that sin, he is there to free you from it. That he does not fail you. That when you draw near to God, God draws near to you. That in Jesus has offered everything. I wanted to read you. I know I did this a couple weeks ago, and I love sitting on the step. I think it's better whenever you read it. There was one thing I read in here. I was reading it to some of our leaders a minute ago, and I love the grandpa stance on the stage. I'm not going to lie. I have to. But I've become a, a much bigger reader as I've gotten a little bit older. It's helped my mind to really have more peace. It's helped my mind to slow down. It's helped my mind to really focus on what's important for me. So I try to read a lot more. And I read one thing in this book, and I thought about rewriting it, but I wanted to read it for you because I didn't want to mess it up, but Tony Evans, he shares this story that really is powerful. Listen to this for just a moment. It's not long, and it's not dramatic. He shared this story about choosing Jesus. He said, there's an old story of a wealthy man, rich beyond belief, who had lost his son, and then later himself, he died. Over the course of his life, he had accumulated a number of expensive, valuable, and rare commodities, which following his death would be auctioned off at an estate sale. Knowing of the man's taste in furniture and art, hundreds of people showed up for the auction to claim whatever they could from his home that was left behind. The day began, the auction began, with a piece that nobody showed interest in at all. The auctioneer came forward with a cheaply framed picture and he said this The first piece we're offering today is this portrait of the man's only son. He paused to give everybody a chance to view it. Do I have a bid? And the room fell silent. They had come for expensive art pieces and artifacts and not for something like that. The auctioneer stood still, not saying a word. But he could tell by the expression on the faces of the attendees that this was something that nobody wanted to buy. They were not interested in this portrait of a son. Still, he asked one more, do I have a bid? Does anyone want this portrait of this man's son? Just then, from the back of the room, an elderly man stepped forward and said this, sir. Sir. I was the servant of the man who died. And if nobody will take the picture of his son, I want to know if I can have it. The auctioneer stepped up and said this, One more time, is there anyone who will bid on the picture of the son? Yeah, nobody did. So he said to the servant, the picture's yours. The elderly servant grabbed the picture, looked at the boy's image, tucked it under his arm, and went to the back of the room. Goes on to say this, To everyone's shock, the auctioneer picked up his gavel, banged it down, and said the auction's over. People are screaming out saying, you have not brought out any of the expensive pieces that were supposed to be sold. When are you bringing those out? How can the auction be over? And this part, I have to turn the page. The auctioneer replied, the father's will says that the auction was to begin with the picture of his son. He valued his son so much that he said, whoever takes his son's picture would inherit everything else. Essentially, he who has the son has everything else included. He who doesn't have the son gets nothing. Tony Evans goes on to say like this. Sometimes we are like those buyers at the estate auction. We're going around looking for everything else to buy in this world, looking to everything else for counsel, looking to everything else for peace, looking to everything else for security. But God is saying, "I have come to give you life, and to give it to you abundantly. But that life can only be found in my Son. If you have my Son, you get everything included. If you have my Son, you have nothing." As students, let me ask you: Do you have the Son? Do you have? Jesus. And if you do, do you live and operate with the security that he offers? Because one day your stuff will go to somebody else. One day your name will be forgotten. But if you have Jesus, you have security. You have security eternally, that there is a room prepared for you in heaven. And if that does not strike your heart, I don't know tonight what will, because the reality of heaven and hell is that we will spend an eternity somewhere the security that you have a future room, you have a future place in the kingdom of heaven, but that you also have security in this world. We're such an anxious generation, myself included. We are anxious over every single thing. We certainly get anxious about our time and how we use it and how we spend it and that it belongs to us. But I gotta tell you, Jesus is outside of time. In fact, Jesus governs and rules time, which means time bows down to Jesus, which is so funny that our culture worships time when time itself bows down to Jesus. Do you have security offered to you? Do you live in it? And the last thing he says in Isaiah 9, verse 6, he says, the prince of peace, and that's number four, the beauty of Christ's Peace. We are offered counsel, we are offered power, we are offered security, and we are offered peace. I was sitting right over here at about 5 o'clock. I was praying over the night, I was praying for this nice message, I was praying for all of you. I got some buddies that are here tonight. I was praying for them. And Sam McElroy, one of the pastors here at Bellevue who's in his 70s, comes and sits down with me. He comes over here every Monday to to pray over the night, to pray over me, to pray over you. He's never here on an actual Monday night, but he prays for you every Monday, which is just so amazing. He came over here. We were sitting right over here, and we're having a normal conversation. And he asked me, he goes, no joke, I cannot make this up. He says, what are you preaching on? And this is what I said. I said, man, I'm preaching on what a beautiful name. And he starts crying he starts weeping i I see tears fall down his face and he starts praying he says god thank you for a beautiful name and he can't even make it through his prayer and for me i was to be honest with you convicted because this is a man who is a lot older and wiser than us in this room who has seen a lot more things from god who has seen a lot more ministry And the title of the song brought him to tears because of how real Jesus is to him. I mean, I think about how sometimes I go through the motion with worship and the truth I'm singing doesn't even hit my heart. And I was convicted that a title hit his. I want to ask you what a beautiful name! Does that touch your heart? Is your worship something you are offering to God? Or something you are just going through the motions with. Because there's a whole lot more offered on the table than just that. There's love. There's joy. And there is peace. Peace in an ever-changing world.